what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. My name is Alan. I am a co-director of the Foot Candle Film Society and the Foot Candle Film Festival. With me is Chris, the other side of the co on the co-directors of each of those aforementioned organizations. Chris, how are you? I'm doing good. Um, I think outside today, I actually got my first taste of fall, which felt amazing. It actually felt under 80 degrees, which yeah. was kind of nice. It was kind of nice. Um, so we are in October. We're you know, halfway through like October. Mid-October. <laughs> yeah, it was still like, you know, really hot outside. So it was nice to actually get some... Get some nice cool weather. So. Yes, it is. It's a, you know, when it was hot weather, it made it a little bit easier for us to want to run into the movie theater this and see true. movies. Now that the weather's a little nicer outside, a little cooler, maybe a little more tempting. But of course, we're going into the part of the movie season where there's typically more things we want to see. So. Oscar bait season. Absolutely. Speaking of Oscar bait, think. Speaking of going into a movie theater to see a lot of movies, we actually have three movies we'll be reviewing in today's show, Chris. Uh, and nice, interesting assortment of films, if I do say so as well. First off, we'll be reviewing the film A Star is Born, which is starring Bradley Cooper and directed by Bradley Cooper and Miss Lady Gaga. Uh, it's a remake of a film that we've seen three different versions of so far. This is now the fourth iteration of this story. We'll follow that up by a film called Puzzle, starring Miss Kelly McDonald. Uh, we'll be discussing that very small independent film that is uh, going to be available very soon for people to see online. Then we'll wrap up our reviews with the film Venom, the latest from the pseudo-Marvel Comics Studio franchise, although there's a little interesting history behind it, but starring Tom Hardy as Eddie Brock, known as Venom in the movie. So those are the three films we'll be reviewing as we go forward. Then we'll break for some movie news, a couple of items we want to share with the audience and get some reaction on. And then we'll end the episode with our recommendation, where Chris and I both provide a recommendation of a film we think is worth checking out or seeking uh, or being on the lookout for when it does come available. So, Chris, we got a lot to do. I say let's go ahead and get started if you are ready. Let's do it. All right. Let's go into our first review, which is A Star is Born. Can I ask you a personal question? Okay. Tell me something, girl. Do you write songs or anything? I don't sing my own songs. Why? I just don't feel comfortable. Why wouldn't you feel comfortable? Almost every single person has told me they liked the way I sounded, but that they didn't like the way I look. I think you're beautiful. A Star is Born is the 2018 version of a film that we have seen three times before. More recently was the 1970s, I believe late 70s version with uh, Barbara Streisand and Chris Christopherson. And when Alan says the royal we, I think he's referring to general public. General he public and I we. have not seen either. I, <laughs> Only the I have seen, 
I seem to remember have seen the Barbara Streisand version back when I was a kid. Ah. But after seeing the version now, I'm pretty sure I did not see that other version because <laughs> I think I would have remembered some elements of the story. Sure. So that being said, uh, Stars Born is still a fairly fresh story for me, as I take it it was for you as well going in to see it too, right? Yes. I'd, I knew kind of the Cliff Notes version of kind of general idea of what happened. But um, yeah, it was the first time I'd actually sat and watched So it. speaking of Cliff Notes version, that's what I'm going to give you right now. Excellent. It's a musician is helping a younger singer and actress find fame, even as age and alcoholism sends his own career into a downward spiral. We have Bradley Cooper starring as Jackson... Oh, gosh, what's his last Maine? name? Jackson Maine. That's right. I think it just goes by Jack most of the time in the film. I, I believe you're right. And to his have, friends, he's Jack. He's Jack. And then we have Lady Gaga, uh, who has been doing some acting in TV and other areas, but this is her first real big motion picture debut film, uh, starring as Allie, the, uh, uh, as we mentioned, the young singer and actress who, uh, when we find her, she's working as a, uh, is a driver? Because she's a, is it a limo driver type of service? That it was never really clear on that. Definitely what we come to find out her dad is doing. But yeah. I guess, yeah, maybe she does I that as well. something with that. And then also no, she, she does like a catering thing too, right? Maybe. Not really something... clear on what she was doing. Right. In but she's also, uh, could be in a restaurant. But she was also uh, performing just in her free time at a local club. Absolutely. And singing as well. Um, but Bradley Cooper is the director of the film. It is his first film as a director. Uh, we've seen him in a lot of other films before in recent years. Uh, probably most notably, he was an American sniper with Clint Eastwood. He was in Silver Linings Playbook, which was the David O. Russell film. Um, he was in Olo- Aloha, which was a Cameron Crowe film that I don't think either of us ever saw. I actually did end up seeing it, and it was not good. Yeah, I heard it was not good. American Hustle. Yeah, and American Hustle that. was good. So, Chris, here's my question to you. Yes, Bradley Cooper as a director is what I want to kind of ask you about. He has worked with David O. Russell. He mm-hmm. has worked with Clint Eastwood. He has mm-hmm. worked with Cameron Crowe. He has worked mm-hmm. with some, even um, he worked with J.J. Abrams on the show Alias, which is the first thing I ever remember seeing him on. Okay. Uh, which is kind of interesting because there are actually several actors in this film that were veterans of that TV show. So it's almost like he brought some of them along with him. Interesting. So my question to you, uh, did, did he make enough of a unique stamp on this film as a director to you? Or would it, did it feel like he was basically taking derivatives of the other other directors he's worked with and other styles? In other words, did the directing really stand out to you at all with this film? Wow. Um, that's a loaded question for a first-time director yeah. or Mr. I, Bradley Cooper. And I ask these questions because, A, he's a first-time director, right. but also he's an actor, which sure. I always seem fascinating when actors go behind the camera, especially when they're acting in their own work. You know, it, I think it would be easier for me to answer if he didn't also help write the script. True. Um, and if it wasn't based on something else, because it's kind of hard to know which things, because I haven't seen the other films, as you and I indicated, um, I don't know if he's lifting certain things, paying homage. Like it's kind of hard for me to say what's his originally. Okay. Um, so how is he a director? I think he's definitely competent. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, this shows, yeah, I mean, it's not, I don't feel like this film was poorly directed. Uh, do I feel like it has a stamp that I can signify as his? Not really. Um, but I, I guess I'd have to see future works by him to say, Oh, that's the Bradley Cooper. Stamp. <laughs> that's the Bradley Cooper look we're going for. Right. Right. But I think definitely as a first film, I think, you know, he's got the chops to be a director if he so chooses to hang up the acting hat and take on the directing hat on a permanent basis. I think he I think he could. I enjoyed the film. Uh, there's 
things that I think could have been tighter. And I think that comes from maybe the screenwriting, maybe the source material. But then again, if you're choosing to remake something, you could rise above said source material and tweak it so that it makes more sense. But hey, there again, first time director. I think this is his first screenplay. Not really sure. So I don't know. I I like the film overall. Um, I can get into some things that I didn't like about it. What's your initial impression now? So uh, this really worked for me. Oh, good. I actually love this film. I, I had a really, really good time with it. And I think there are a couple reasons why. I, I'm a sucker for films about music, mm-hmm. uh, music bands, performers, behind the scenes of, of musicians. And I thought this film took a lot of care and attention to really be authentic about the behind the scenes machinations of musicians or performing artists. A lot of it, some scenes even I thought were just very specific in what they were focusing on and how the characters responded to it. Um, I can mention some examples a little bit later on, but basically I thought it was very authentic when it comes to the music scene. From what I know of the music business, which is not a lot. Your name is Alan Jackson. True, but that's about as far as it goes. <laughs> okay. But from what I would understand or expect with the music business, it felt very authentic. Gotcha. Um, I thought... I did think Bradley Cooper had a kind of a unique directoral style to this. And I think it all focused on the acting. Hmm. He's, I think he's really, really good with actors. Now granted, one of those actors is himself. So that's, (laughs) that's a little bit of a benefit you gain right away. Granted, But what I really admired about the film is the film spent a lot of time letting its characters talk and have what I felt like were really natural conversations. Um, where, Nothing, very, very little in this film seemed scripted to me, which is always a great sign of feeling like I'm watching something more authentic. And what I was probably the most taken by is that there will be times where there will be conversations going on and somebody will say something totally like somebody would in the heat of a conversation or at a moment's notice that didn't really make any sense when it comes out of their mouth. But they still said it because that's where the natural conversation happens. I've got to thank Bradley Cooper as an actor seem to have a little more care and attention to the dialogue going on in this film of letting the actors really explore the dialogue and even generate their own dialogue to make the scene work. So every scene in the film where you have a really good conversation or dialogue between characters, I was totally taken with. And I thought it worked extremely, extremely well. And I thought the musical performances also were done extremely well. There are some moments of the film that don't work as well for me, and I could probably boil it down to that, like the middle section of the film, basically the rise to fame. I guess I could say the section okay. is where the film became a lot more cut by uh, or paint by numbers okay. for the, a musical biopic type of type of film, mm-hmm. where you almost there were a lot of montages, which I felt. I was so happy we didn't oh, we'll, have. We'll get to the montages. I didn't feel like we had a lot of montages in the beginning. And I thought that's what really made it work because I felt it was a lot more authentic. But that middle section, the rise to fame, we're following Allie as she's becoming bigger. And that's not spoiling. That's part of the plot line of the, sto- of the story. The star is born. The star is born. Name, yeah. That I thought was very formulaic and just didn't work. And it really kind of brought me out of the film for that whole middle section of the film. I think it redeemed itself a good bit by the end, although I do have a caveat with the ending we'll get to in a little bit uh, without spoiling there to, again either. But overall, the film, the film just worked for me. I think okay. the combination of the music, the performances, the great use of dialogue and, and the natural feel I felt like the film really tried to convey uh, was really good. 
Um, I think Bradley Cooper did take some some notes from David O. Russell because mm. there were some scenes, especially in Allie's home with her father and her father's kind of interesting little friend crew, his guys, friends he hung I out with. I was kind of confused about <laughs> what was going on there. Um, we can get to that. But yeah, um, I, kinda... I, I, I love those scenes because they were really interesting and very different from the rest of the film. But it also had a very David O. Russell feel to it. I kept thinking of Silver Linings Playbook and the family scenes in the house with Robert De Niro. and He worked with just, him in Joy, too, didn't he? Oh, yeah, that's right, Joy. So actually three films he did with him. Um, I think he took a lot from David O. Russell. I almost saw this as this could be a, a musical-type story biopic that a David O. Russell could have directed. Hmm. Came close in some areas. So, And I like David O. Russell, so that right. actually was okay by me. So... Ah, man, I could keep going. I, I really like the film. Actually, it really, really worked for me. I will say I went to go see it at a 10, 15 p.m. showing. That's commitment. After 30 minutes of advertisements and trailers. So 10.45 start. 10.45 start. And it was a two-hour and 15-minute movie. Wow. I had been up since 5.30 that morning, had a full day of work and screenings and other things, and I still found myself wide awake, enthralled by the movie. So I'm a big fan. I have, <laughs> I have – some concerns, okay, but uh, not enough to make me not like this film a lot. So, well, um, I guess let me start off by saying um, what I liked about the film sure. other than the general overview we just talked about. Um, I am aware of the singer Lady Gaga. Yes, um, I know can name some of her songs. Are you a little? Is it a little monster? I am not a monster or okay. a monster. No, um, and I've heard a little bit what I think is her authentic background, either from my daughter or from my wife. So I was kind of familiar with a little bit of that, kind of her, some of her backstory and her mm-hmm. rise to fame going into this film. I just expected, yeah, I didn't know. I just expected, Oh, it's a remake. It's fourth time. Here we go. Yeah. Um, from what I can tell, I think they kind of lifted a little bit of Gaga's backstory for the backstory of Allie, mm-hmm. which I was not expecting. And thought that was really cool. Basically, from what I understand, Gaga used to do singing at a drag club. That's what I understood as well. And she, you know, in this film, Allie kind of does that, you know, just because she likes to sing. She used to waitress there. Now she sings. That's where um, Jackson or Jackson Maine. Maine. Mm-hmm. That's where Jackson Maine sees her for the first time. So, and her interaction with her coworker or friends that are at the drag club. Like I thought that was a a cool way to update this film from mm-hmm. the seventies to 2018 yep. and B I thought it was cool to kind of incorporate a little bit of Gaga from what I can tell legend of Gaga into <laughs> uh, a star is born. So I thought that was neat. Yep. Also there again, if you believe internet rumors or the things your daughters tell you about pop stars, she has had flack thrown at her for the way she looks. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of thrown out about the way Allie looks too. She says, yeah, I can sing, but I'll never be anything because people don't like the way I look. So, you know, whether or not that whole, you know, urban legend is true about Gaga, but so that that's incorporated too. And then last but not least, a kind of thread that I liked was there's a little bit of back and forth between Jackson and Allie about what her music means Mm -hmm. and um, what she's doing to kind of become popular. Yeah. And maybe that existed with Gaga now because she, you know, now her kind of crazy what she's known. Well, she got known for really crazy stuff and then. She may have tamed it down in some ways for certain songs of hers. I don't know. Just all interesting food for thought. That's the, the, the parallel with the maybe the real were, life uh, career of, of right. her. Okay. The, those those kind of made me, you know, mm-hmm. kind of wake up in a movie I thought was going to be pretty much on autopilot. Mm-hmm. 
What I will say, though, is that I don't think they didn't dig into that enough for Mm -hmm. me Mm -hmm. um, because certain statements were made. And then it was just kind of like, yes, and Jackson's going to drink a lot of alcohol. And then it kind of got on the rails of, you know, I will tell this storyline and not deviate. It's like the part that you're talking about, the first third, let's say, when they were kind of the rise, you know, or even before the rise, like the meet cute type thing. I was on board with all that because it seemed to have a lot of parallels. But then once the movie got going and a lot of well, the, con- you, it, a lot of the concert stuff, actually, I kind of, the middle section, I mean, I'm telling I guess. you, it's about the time where she is approached by a music agent producer, producer. Right. from that moment, uh, pretty much till the last like 30 minutes of the film, I, I thought was the weakest part and didn't really work as well. The performances were not as strong. I don't think they were meant to be as strong because we're supposed to actually feel like that. Maybe she's kind of selling out a little bit, you know, and the music's not supposed to be as, as good. The performances are not supposed to be as authentic. Um, well, that's interesting. That's interesting. You say that because oddly enough, the first song that I paid attention to was after they had met mm-hmm. in Cooper or Jackson Jack, I'll call him because we're friends. Call him now. Jack, we're friends. I spent two hours and fifteen minutes with him, so <laughs> I'm friends with him. He performs a song while he's waiting for Allie to yeah. change. I was like, wow, I really, you know, it's just very simple acoustic Bradley Cooper singing, and you get to realize, hey, I guess Bradley Cooper can actually sing mm-hmm. and play guitar. I really liked that, and I think it unfairly set the bar for the rest of the movie as far mm. as music's concerned. Yeah. Um, Unless you live in a cave, you've heard that. Th- so that's maybe it's time. I really like that song. Shallow or Shallows. I'm not mm-hmm. sure which would. That's the song that I imagine will be nominated for an Oscar. Maybe we'll get yeah. to see Gaga and Cooper be. perform it together. Mm-hmm. I was surprised with. And there again, I don't know if it was the editing or just the general song itself. It has something, but it's just good and not great for me. Uh, and it could, I yeah. could narrow it down to the way it would, maybe the way it was shot or the way they decided to edit it. Or, you know, I really don't like I, the la, 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 la part yeah. they do. That could just the, the actual song content I, itself. Yeah. I don't know. It's it hard worked to pin for me. I, I think, I think that was actually a high point of the film, them on stage performing that See, early in the film. I so. thought it really would be, yeah. but yeah, something about it. Well, that's the thing about musical films that rely so much on performances. And this film did mm-hmm. have a heavy share of performances. You either really enjoy the musical performances or it's just not your thing. And that may help impact your overall feeling of a film. The musical performances were for me in the opening and then some towards the end I'll get to in a bit the middle section not as much and that's where it kind of lost me so um, how cool would it have been do you think if we didn't know Lady Gaga before this film well okay yeah had that well now in a way that wouldn't have I would have appreciated like the 2018 update thing because I still would have thought oh that's cool drag club probably not in there in the 70s but I'm saying if it was like an unknown right I know I know so I'm saying I appreciate what made me appreciate this film is that I did kind of know her yeah. because I knew her backstory. But yeah, if she was a complete unknown, yeah, I'd be amazed at her voice yeah. and like, oh my God, whereas, yeah, I'm not really amazed that she can sing because I already know she can. So yeah, that's true. That's my thing. And I'll, I'll kind of bounce off a of positive here as well. I know everybody's singing Lady Gaga's praises for the, for acting in this movie. And I think she's good. Sure. And I think she's obviously a good singer. We already knew she was a good singer. I've seen her in, I guess, performances and Super Bowl and music right. videos. I know she's a good actress, performer as well. I've seen her like act in a way in those things. Bradley Cooper, for me, was the one I actually found to be really impressive to watch acting. I really liked his performance as Jackson Maine. Um, okay. 
I thought starting out it was going to be annoying. I thought he was trying to play like much older and much more grizzled and gruff than maybe he really was. But it actually evened out over the time. And I think the performance was really, really strong. <laughs> he was the one I was more fascinated to watch every time it would bring come back to him. Actually, um, yeah, and that surprised me too because – his performance you would figure would be more one note where you would think the more interesting story is this person who's becoming famous. But no, I I agree. I not to take anything away from Gaga. I think she was fine. He had the more interesting performance arc here. I think Yeah, and you're right. It could have been so easy to play. Just I'm getting to be a washed up uh, rock and roll country singer and I drink a lot and I'm going to act crazy and kind of derail things. His, his performance was a lot more nuanced than that. There's a lot more going on. And I think probably the scene that, us, well, there's several scenes with Bradley Cooper that stood out for me as really positive. I'm sure um, one of them at least is with Sam Elliott playing his yeah. brother Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the truck at the towards the end. Yeah. Oh, there was that yeah. scene, man, that got me, that got me hard. And they have um, a, they have a, f- face-off confrontation which was also pretty good there he's arriving late to a show i yeah. think and they kind of have words there's that but then there's, there's some form of uh, a, a more tender moment with them late in the film a couple lines that uh, bradley cooper delivers that just poof, gut punch got me um <laughs> so there's that uh, there's a scene late in the film again not going to spoil for those not familiar with the story but there's a scene where jackson starts to get some understanding of maybe what his his behavior is doing to the relationship. He's told by someone and given some backstory insight. I don't like one of the characters in that scene. His acting. I don't like the, the agent. I don't like the guy who was the manager or whatever role he played. I thought that was like the one weak performance in this film. It was more cartoonish. It was more performance or script. Why what they gave him to work with? It was more of a caricature. Nuanced. It was a very caricature of a agreed evil producer. Right. But Bradley Cooper's reaction to that information and the way he took it that got me because that was really well done. He could have played it again, very stereotypical, very one note. He didn't. He played it very authentic. Is the only word I could keep thinking about with that. So. I really was impressed with Bradley Cooper. I, I've always thought he was a fine actor. This is the first time I could say, man, that guy, the guy really nailed that part, I thought. So that was really impressive. I, so I would also say before we get to the non-spoiler talking mm-hmm. about the end, um, something that I kind of hinted at was, you know, I was confused about the dad's living situation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was Because at first I thought, He's living with a bunch of guys and he doesn't have any money. And like she's with him and she's living with them all and they're all kind of living together. And it was like, no, I was kind of confused. Um, her dad played by Andrew Dice Clay, Andrew Dice which Clay. was kind of surprising to see him I did not realize that up. until the credits afterwards. Really? Yeah. Okay. No, it, was no distract- it was a little distracting for me. I'm glad I, I didn't know didn't because I honestly the whole time was wondering, who is that guy? It's like, <laughs> who is that? he kind of looks familiar. Maybe he's somebody who played in an older movie I remember. And Talk I about the- somebody who kind of has a washed up tough career and is now I saw Brazil. the credits. I saw his name pop up. I'm like, oh, man, that was impressive. I didn't realize that. So, and we I mentioned kind of a detraction against not necessarily Gaga, but what she had to do. They, the dad kind of throws down a little bit of storyline threads with how he thinks she has talent, but she'll never go anywhere. She might as well just kind of suck it up. He relates it a little bit to his background of apparently being told at one point by, is it yeah. Frank Sinatra that he or had a decent somebody voice? told him that he's better than Frank Sinatra right, okay. singer, but you know, he never did anything about it. So there's that. And I think the way she responds to that at first 
it's kind of like it was an interesting family dynamic of a father who loves her, but yet is kind of undercutting her maybe because he's bitter about his own. Like Mm -hmm. there was some potential there that I feel like wasn't recognized and could have Mm -hmm. made it a little bit more interesting. But I guess, you know, the movie was already two hours and 15 minutes, so you can't examine anything, but spend more time on that as opposed to um, spoiler alert a little bit, I guess. Um, a rushed marriage, which I feel like came from out of nowhere. <laughs> um, no, I totally, I, I totally got that. Now, granted, okay. that was in that same middle section. That I didn't feel like the film worked as well. With Dave Chappelle, who was like kind of odd to see him. Not that I thought he did a bad job, but he was basically like, we need somebody to play his like worn, travel-worn yeah. friend. Let's have Dave Chappelle do it. And it I love a, Dave Chappelle. It was a little odd. And that yeah. was part of that whole sequence where I just didn't feel like the film worked as well. Um, I understand the reason for the wedding proposal. I understand the rush nature of it. It's playing into the story. It's like he knows something is slipping away and gotcha. he's got to, this is his way to try to he's hold gotta on. grab onto it while he can. And okay. he was kind of a little bit inspired by talking to his friend and getting his, trying to get his head back on straight. Um, but it was not the right decision, you know, at that <laughs> point, I mean, it was not the right time or the not way to, way to do it. But um, right. it did kind of show a little bit more of his impulsiveness as a, as a character as well. Um, let me just a couple of really quick things I liked a lot about the film. Okay. Um, Pour on a little bit more of the positive. <laughs> yeah, a couple more positives, then we can hit some some concerns. Sure. Um, I mentioned the performance scenes all being really good. Um, there was a, a scene that took place at the Grammys that I thought was <laughs> absolutely devastating. Is that the performance of Pretty Woman? Um, or it comes started afterwards? with that. Yeah. And then it ended with um, something on stage. Yeah. It was just, it was frightening. I mean, it was like, you know, you're watching a breakdown of somebody. And, and again, not going to go into any more detail on that, but I thought it was just extremely well done the way it was paced and the way um, it unfolded like it did. Hmm. Again, the use of dialogue. I mean, there's a shot where we're seeing Allie speaking and you're hearing Jackson in the background just talking rambling and yeah. just you know what's going on you know what's happening but yet the way they kind of edit it and let you kind of feel what she was feeling and hear what she was hearing while she's up there yeah it was really good and it was <laughs> i mean it was one of those where there was actually some gasp in the audience with the small crowd i saw it last night like oh boy you know it's like oh no this is not good and that's that's what you wanted that scene to do it had to be complete embarrassment and discomfort and yeah it was so um okay yeah so there were a lot of really great scenes now the things that didn't work as well, we've kind of talked about a little bit for me, the, the middle section. Sure. The rush to fame, I do feel like it was probably the fastest part of the film, and it shouldn't have been. That's the part where I wanted them to give us a little more information. But instead, it was almost like, hey, uh, a music producer just approached Allie. Oh, hey, she's recording a song. And oh, hey, now she's super famous. Right. And it's like, that was the part of the film that I, I kind of wanted. I needed to see more of the impact on the relationship because it felt like the relationship kind of went from one spot to another very, very quickly okay. due to that rise to fame. So the whole middle section just didn't work for me. I felt like it was rushed. Um, felt like it just didn't really explore the things that were the really interesting things to explore. Um, so I was disappointed with that. I do feel like it came around mostly at the end, but um, the ending, I'll say, I, I didn't feel like the, the last song worked. Okay, let's, you know, in a musical, you know... This, we won't give the per- parameters of why the no, song is or I'll what just it say is. This, just say, yeah, I've thought a lot about it because, you know, like you say, any movie that has a lot of music, that's kind of the judge to me. Do I walk out singing the songs? Or even if I don't, you know, do I walk out remembering them? Think they're, 
you know, we've mentioned maybe it's time and the shallows. Those are the two big ones. And those are in the first, like, you know, third of the third of the film. Yeah. Yeah. So the rest of the film, everything is forgettable for me. And I was really surprised that the last song performance was also really forgettable now, which, you know, that's crazy because you would think that would be the one. um, Mm. Yeah. But no. And I think it comes down to, for me, there are montages with that last song that really just were like fingernails on a chalkboard and were terrible. Now it was really like going nowhere. And I thought it was going to be just, I thought I was really going to dislike it and it was going to ruin it. However, there was a switch in who was singing it. Yep. And at that point I was like, okay. And then there's a cut after the, who's singing it. And then it was a fade to black. Yep. And I was um, like, okay. I'm so it actually, it actually kind of salvaged it did itself. Redeem it a bit. But I still don't like the song. I love the last couple <laughs> so, shots. Sure. Okay. I'm with you on that. That hard cut to the other perspective and a little bit of a flashback time was perfect. Right. It actually redeemed that last scene for me, the way they staged it. The song, the song didn't really work for me either. My, my issue with the last song is it was such an overly produced hmm. song and performance and that didn't fit anything in the rest of the film. And that actually, gotcha. that actually was more similar to the her becoming a pop artist, which is I think the film was kind of saying she was losing sight of who she was. I felt like that last performance was also kind of not true to what the characters were that we met in the beginning. Hmm. I would have liked something a little bit more authentic, a little bit more raw, a little bit less produced, a little bit less. I don't know. And again, not not trying to give away too much with the with the, with the, with it, but. I wanted something more authentic, and I felt like that was more of a glossy music video at the end. So that last song and just the production of it didn't work. But I will give you that last cut to the last couple shots worked extremely well and almost redeemed it for me in that last little (laughs) bit. So um, Fair enough. I will say, too, and this is probably a very small nitpick thing, but it just bugged me. (laughs) I love the song Shallow or Shallows. I think it's really good. Do you, like, do you hate the la 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 sha la la la? I'm not la, a biggest fan of that part of the song, but I think the melody just the melody just works. Okay. My concern is, and this all happens very early in the film, so I don't feel like I'm spoiling anything by asking this question. Jackson and Allie meet. Um, they're in a parking lot of a grocery store. She sings one verse of Shallows to him. He's like, "Oh, that's a great song." She drops him off at his house the next morning, and somehow he has written her entire song produced it and knows all the lyrics and is ready for her to come perform it that night. I mean, yeah, it was a little, that just, it just gnawed at me. My hope is here's how I've justified it. They had a long ride in the limousine before the morning time when she dropped him off. So she wrote down the entire song for him and all the lyrics (laughs) and everything. So then he was able to do it later that evening. I mean, you know, I had to buy that the same way. I guess I should be okay with how fast they got married. I mean, you know, they're covered, like you say, I mean, Grant, we are in the age of the internet where you can get famous pretty quickly. Yeah. So, yeah, it seemed like time-wise, this would actually need to be, I don't know, somehow the, the segments of it needed to be paced out better such that you could buy how famous she got so quick or it seemed like... No, that I didn't bother know. me because I actually think that is actually probably a little more normal today's society. I mean, I think somebody could go from, you just don't buy specifically that he could make no, just that song one song. That That's it. It's just, he had a fully produced band on board ready for all the lyrics. <laughs> and he knew all the lyrics to the True. first, the first lyrics of the song. And they just met that morning. And I don't remember them, her sharing a whole lot of notes with him about the song. 
that was the only part of the, again, I have convinced myself that they actually drove around in the limousine for a few hours right. working on the song before yes. she, he dropped her off. They had a writer's workshop yeah. in the limo. We didn't see that, but that's what I'm going to tell myself happened to make it right in my head. Okay. So, um, fair enough. That, like I said, that's more of a nitpicky thing for me. But, you know, my, my real issues with the film were just I felt the ending was too polished, the last production number. I feel like the middle section, The Rise of Fame, was way too montage heavy and quick and just a lot more jumping through time quicker. And it just didn't let us breathe in the impact it was having on their relationship. But that's it. I, I, I loved everything else about the film. Outside of those three areas, I mean, if, the, if the middle section had been better, as, as strong as the opening, 30, 45 minutes was. And if we just didn't end with that last overly produced song piece, I, I, I would, I would be about as high as I can be on a film right now. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you like it a little more than me. Um, I appreciate it, but it sounds like you're a little bit more. High I'm, I'm definitely me. a lot more. I, it's, it's one of the better films I've seen this year. I mean, you know, I mean, we're 10 months into the year. Yeah. I would not be surprised to see it in my top five for the year right now. I really, really enjoyed this film. Okay. Yeah. So that is A Star is Born. We're both giving it a positive review. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, just me, uh, a little more glowing than Chris, but uh, both of us found a lot to take away from it. I do think from an acting and directing standpoint, I think Bradley Cooper's doing some really good stuff right now. So I'm kind of excited to see what he does next. All right. Let's move on to our second review, which is the film Puzzle. I'm here about the puzzles. You seem to have some mark on your forehead. It's Ash Wednesday. Is that a problem? No, not at all. As long as we don't have to share the prize with the Pope. <laughs> a competition? I'm doing it. Honey. I'm not asking you. I'm telling you. You're so much more comfortable when you're focusing on the puzzles. Turns you on. He's using you. Everybody always uses you and you let them. I don't know why someone like you would find me interesting. You're modest and strange and beautiful and funny. And director Mark Turtletaub's film from this year, Puzzle, Agnes is taken for granted as a suburban mother. She discovers a passion for solving jigsaw puzzles, which unexpectedly draws her into a new world where her life unfolds in ways she could never have imagined. Alan, with this film, you mentioned the star of it, who I previously only really knew from the train spotting movies, but she's been in some other things. Kelly McDonald, this is kind of a vehicle for her where she's basically, I mean, there are scenes, I guess, where she's not on screen, but for the most part, not many of them. Yeah, yeah. She, this is like a starring role for her. She's the main focus. How do you feel like it was for a vehicle for her to, you know, kind of have a film all her own? And uh, it's a small independent movie, but uh, what were you left? What were you left feeling? Do you feel like the puzzle pieces fit together to make oh, a perfect that's film? That's so good. Um, mostly. Okay. Mostly. I, I, I did feel like it was a good, solid film. I think Kelly McDonald is the reason to watch this film, as okay. I think her performance was really good. Um, she's always been a good actress, but this is like the first time I can remember her really carrying a film okay. on her Same own. here, yeah. Um, and she had a really interesting part to play in that it, it's a meek, uh, very reserved, uh, very organized housewife that, that doesn't seem to have a whole lot going on in, several, in her life except for just tending to the men in her life, her sons and her, her husband. Right. Until she has this kind of opening with... Uh, jigsaw puzzles and meeting somebody else who basically becomes a puzzle partner with her um played by uh 
Irfan uh, Khan. Khan. Yeah. Um, so really, the two of them become partners on this on the puzzle side, while she's also trying to juggle or manage expectations of her uh, in her home life. Right. So it's a little bit of a, someone kind of going between two worlds. You know, you've got uh, she's going off to New York City to spend time on the puzzles, which is really her spending time with someone who's very outward in the world, thinking about the world as a whole, always following the news, always concerned about what's happening in other countries. And then she goes back to her home where it's all about just what's happening right here inside this room. And are our boys doing what they're supposed to do? And is, uh, is the husband's garage doing okay money wise? You know, it's very insular thinking. Right. So um, I think she had an interesting part to play and I think she played it extremely well. There was an arc. There was some development with her. There was some points to the end where she kind of had to make some decisions and, and change a little bit of who she was. I thought she played it really well. Um, the rest of the movie was fine. It was a, a kind of a, I hate saying it's a slight movie, but it really was just one that just didn't, it didn't really hit really strong on any one aspect of the film. It was just a good, solid, generally speaking film that, you know, I think people can appreciate and enjoy. And, and again, I think Kelly McDonald's performance is the main reason you want to see this if you're going to watch it. So what, what's your, what's your take on it? Chris? I mean, I would agree that Kelly McDonald is a, is a good reason to see it. Um, it's cool to see her get a larger, you know, starring role in a film. Um, I felt, yeah, I was kind of disappointed that Irfan Khan, who's, you know, a capable actor. I've seen him in some other things. And I think he's really well known in like Bollywood and mm-hmm. India. Like, you know, that's, I think he's really well known there. Um, I felt like his character was very, we talked about in the star is born, how the music producer was kind of cartoonish and stereotypical. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt like Irfan Khan, he's, clearly capable of doing a lot and instead he was just supposed to be this kind of eccentric guy who pulls her away from her husband it was yeah. just and i felt like there was there there could have been more there and there wasn't yep and Agreed. so that made it a little more lightweight in the film than i thought could have been necessary now balancing that though and giving me kind of a raised eyebrow i'm like oh this is actually trying a little bit on some things uh, her husband, David Denman. Yeah. David Denman, who I know is the boyfriend of Pam and from the office. Yep, <laughs> and sure. I don't think I've ever seen him anything else. Uh, he plays Louie, her husband, and they could have made him. Now he is kind of like you've mentioned a little overbearing. He does, you know, she basically has to do everything for him, the cooking, the cleaning, and he depends on her to even to do the books at his garage. So yeah, it's just, and doesn't, you can tell he loves her. Yeah. But he doesn't really, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it, give her a lot of credit sometimes, maybe. Doesn't give her a lot of credit, and I don't think lets her really explore who she is. Right. He sees her as, this is my wife, as right. opposed to who she is as an independent or her own woman. So. And so I thought, you know, but they didn't, they still made him sympathetic. Yeah. It was kind of, they didn't make him this, you know, wife beater guy who wore white t-shirts, who beat up his wife. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't yeah. that. They made it a little more sympathetic, which I appreciate that aspect of it. Um, a guy, another guy who played her son, Ziggy, which I love his real name apparently, is Bubba Weiler. <laughs> okay. I mean, Bubba. That's his Bubba name. played Ziggy. So. Right. right. He could cool. have just played awesome. Bubba, I guess. Yeah, but um, the dynamic between Ziggy and his mom was mm-hmm. really interesting. It was like, you know, a young son or a son that had been forced into kind of taking over the family business or trying to follow in his father's footsteps. And that's not really wanted to do what he wanted to do, but he still 
liked his father and oh, yeah. liked his, you know, so it was kind of a tough family dynamic, but he ends up admitting a lot of things to his mom and the conversations they share back and forth as he's tr- struggling to find out who he is. And she, as a, you know, a how older mom, a housewife is kind of going through some of the things, same things, trying to struggle to figure out who she is. So that was something that I have, don't think I've really seen examined on screen. Two people of two different age generations struggling from the same thing. A mother son dynamic yeah. going on. No, you're right. So that, pretty unique. Yeah, that was that was interesting and made it a little bit gave me a little something to hold on to. Mm-hmm. I wish there had been more of that. Well, I think the whole family dynamic could have used a lot more with the kids. I thought okay. the two sons needed. I would have loved to have seen a little more development in those storylines. Sure. Um, I, I don't really know if the film really felt like it knew what to do with those relationships late in the film. It had mm-hmm. these two other ma- male characters to have to kind of contend with and two different sides of the spectrum. And the boys kind of left flirting, free flirting out there in the last half of the movie, I felt like. So, um, and I'm with you. I thought David Denman as the father was really good. Mm-hmm. Actually, I thought Kelly McDonald and David Denman were really impressive acting in the film. Yeah. Uh, where so it's kind of a really Khan, vehicle for him too. Yeah. Erfran Khan, I agree was, Somewhat disappointing because yeah. it just felt. I was more interested when uh, the lead character, Kelly McDonald's character, uh, Agnes. Agnes. Yeah. I was more interested in the time she was home with her husband, the dialogue and dynamics there, than I was the time when she was in New York visiting Stephen, the uh, the puzzle master. You know, in a weird way, or Robert, too, the Stephen puzzle yeah, master. You're, you're right, and that kind of surprised me because usually that's the time the film would seem to have a lot more energy and kind of come alive was when she was discovering this new talent and, you know, it'd be more fun, but instead it was just, and maybe this is by design. It was more tedious seeming. Mm-hmm. And you know, you're kind of like, there's no, there's no real energy here where the more, like you're saying, the more interesting scenes were when she, was she, when she was at home, back home, yeah, with, the back home with the family yeah. and the husband. Yeah. Um, you know, the pacing of the film I thought was, was fine. I will say, I don't feel like this is a spoiler, but obviously the, 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 the film does center around, at least as a, as a through line, this idea of a puzzle uh, competition, right. which is what brought her to Robert's attention, the Erfran Khan character. And it calls her to be away from her home, you know, several days throughout the week to go practice for this without telling her family for the longest time about it. But, you know, uh, and I'm, I understand why they did this, why they lost sight of the puzzle. The puzzle became a very, very, very minor point <laughs> later in the film. I mean, to the point where you feel like we're building up to this competition. The competition's like three minutes. Oh, it's yeah. like almost yeah. all happens in the background. Right. Like we don't even acknowledge it. And I get that. I'm okay with that. I, I understand that that's not what we're watching the film for. The film is about the, the relationship and this independence, the struggle for finding out who she is and who she wants to be. But I did feel like, you know, the puzzle itself, the – it was playing so much of a heavy metaphor in the first half of the film, and then it just got pushed off to the wayside in the second half. I felt like there was maybe a little bit of a missed opportunity there as well. Um, Agreed. So yeah. I felt like both the puzzle side, the more mechanical puzzle side of the storyline, and the relationship with the two sons was two things I felt like got really shortchanged later in the film. I will say I liked the way the film ended. Um, I thought ending was you know a little... It was not the most storybook ending. It was an ending that I think worked for the film, though. Yeah, you could, it, yeah, not a Hollywood ending kind no, of. It was, yeah. No, but I think it worked for the film and kind sure. of where the character was heading and her development arc in general throughout the film. So I admired that. Um, I found enough in the film to say I liked the film. I think I think it was a good film, well-made film. Um, 
not, but nothing I could really walk away from and say I loved about it. You know, it's just a, it was a good, generally good film. Uh, but I, I have a hard time finding anything to really sing incredibly high praises for, except I did think Kelly McDonald was really good. So, yeah, I could think we're in the same boat to me. You know, it was just as a summary, it was kind of a, a better than average Hallmark movie. It was better than I expected it to or be. A better than average Lifetime movie. Well, and better than I expected it to be going into it, quite sure. honestly. You know, the trailer plays it up as, as a little more of a lighter a lighter film right. that's really more surface about just someone who finds that she has a skill for something and decides to pursue it. The film is a lot deeper than that. And actually, the trailer, too, misled. Hey, shock. Trailers can be misleading. Mm. But... um it does some sequencing of shots and kind of mm. makes it look kind of Wes Anderson-y in a way that they cut oh, some specific which shots. Nothing at all. In like the, that in the beginning, film. they do have some cuts of like her setting up for a birthday party that may have yeah. been, but yeah, just not not stylistically. There wasn't a lot going on in the film, you no. know. I, I think, but it was a well shot film. Sure. I will say, cinematography I thought was really nice. And you mentioned the screening last night. There's an end shot at the end. It's a really beautiful shot mm-hmm. and just well, 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 uh, well put together. And I'll just say one more thing. Uh, I had really, really extremely high hopes for this film in the first 10 minutes because the film opens with a sequence where you have an expectation of what's happening, what's oh, going sure. on, what the character is doing. And then at the end of that whole sequence, you're kind of faced with the reality of what is truly happening. And it's another one of those gut punches. It's like, oh, wow. Okay, I totally get where this film is going to be going now. I don't think the rest of the film lived up to that opening five minutes. Agreed. Um, Agreed. Because I really had some high hopes when they set it up that way. I'm like, oh, this is going to be something more than what was advertised. Uh, and uh, it was a deeper film than what was advertised, but it, it never lived up to that opening uh, opening sequence, I didn't think. So um, still, good film, worth seeing, especially if you are a fan at all of Kelly McDonald and want to see her in a starring role, basically carrying the film. Uh, she does. She does a really, really uh, strong job with that. Agreed. Okay, so that's always our second review. That is puzzle. We're kind of two for two on good films and films that we think you know people could stand to check out. Um, I know where I am. Stars Born is I uh, well ahead of Puzzle. Are Are you kind of rating them the same way right now too? Yeah, I'm not sure if, I, but yeah, I mean. Yeah. Stars Born, you like hot, sure better how, than Puzzle? Yeah, I do. I'm not okay. sure how much more I like it better okay. than Puzzle, but yeah, sure. Mine's a pretty big gap, but um, <laughs> I still will say both of them are recommendations for me at this point. Okay. okay, so let's move on to our third film and see if that trend continues on recommending films to other people. This is the latest um, Marvel-esque superhero film in the franchise. Uh, kind of disconnected, but still related in some thread way. This is the film Venom. I'm Eddie Brock. I'm a reporter. I always seem to find myself questioning something the government may not be looking at. I found something really bad. And I have been... Eddie. Who said that? 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 Taken. Chris, I could sit here and read the plot synopsis I see on, on IMDb right now in front of me on the laptop okay. and tell you what this film's about. But let me, let me do it in my own words. Okay. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, okay. So Venom is a quote villain that was introduced many years back, probably in the late 80s, I believe, in the Spider-Man comic universe. Okay. 
he has been presented in a Spider-Man film before, one of the Sam Raimi films. Is it the third one? It was the third one, Spider-Man 3. Uh, not well regarded by fans when he came on the scene in that film. Uh, it was not very true to the original character. Um, so people kind of wrote that off and said that wasn't really Venom. And now we have a true standalone Venom film. Problem is, no connection whatsoever to any of the other Marvel superheroes or anything else. Spider-Man no does not show up in this Doesn't show up, not even mentioned. There's no connection whatsoever. Although if you understood the comics, you'd understand that Venom was basically born from a Spider-Man storyline. So the fact that he's a completely separated character now is a little odd in its own right. But we have Eddie Brock, who is the, the, the human that acquires this power. It's basically a symbiote, a, a big an blog of glue goo that kind of spreads all over you and takes over your body and, and creates this Venom character that we see. So as Eddie Brock, we have a Mr. Tom Hardy, who we knew from Mad Max, and we know as Bane from the Dark Knight uh, Christopher Nolan movies. Mm-hmm. He is starring as uh, Eddie Brock, who is the host for the, Ven- the Venom symbiote. And as Eddie Brock is researching, as he is an investigative reporter, researching the Life Foundation uh, to find out about what nefarious things they may be up to, he is exposed to the Venom symbiote that they retrieve some, from some alien planet. And it takes over his body and they uh, become some form of an anti-hero, I guess is the term to use, where it's a bad guy, but kind of ends up doing some good things in a way. Chris, uh, I'll just go ahead and throw it out there. I I didn't really care for this film. Um, (laughs) I also went in with very little expectations. I would just go ahead and say, because all I'm doing is setting it up for you, because I just want to hear you talk about it. Sure, sure. I did have a, a little smidge more fun with this film than I expected to because I really went in with about the lowest possible expectations you could. But it still was a pretty disastrous film in my in my estimation. I can give you plenty of reasons later on in the conversation, but I just want to kind of lay that groundwork. No guesswork on my side. I'm letting you know. Didn't like it. But tell me, are you online with me or, or am I completely wrong in the way I took this film? Well, here's the thing. I... Prior to going to see the film, you had kind of told me, yeah, I have no interest. It's, you know, it's a complete, you know, it's not holding true to the Venom origins thing. They're just basically, it's kind of like the idea I kind of got from you and from the internet was basically like the people who own the rights to this story were basically doing it because, you know, it had been sold back to Marvel or whatever. So they could like, okay, well, let's make a superhero movie because we can still do it with this one character. We can't mention Spider-Man, but let's still do it. So in a way, I was going into the film with, that's an interesting predicament to be in. Mm. But with Tom Hardy and Michelle Williams, and I, I thought you had, I thought you had a chance to make something interesting. Wait, Michelle um, Williams, she was in this film. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, she was the the girlfriend of Tom Hardy. Actually, I guess she, they were engaged. Yes. Um. So. I feel like there was in the director, um, he had made Zombieland, so it's not like he'd never made a film, Ruben Fleischer. So right. it's like, okay. So there was enough there to give me interest, but yeah, I came out of the movie thinking, yeah, this is just a waste. Um, it basically was just kind of a money grab to, you know, to the gravy train that are superhero movies. The thing that they needed to do, the one thing they could have done, if they had done, mm-hmm. I think, I would, and it did not bother me because I'm, you know, I thought, cool, it'll have nothing to do with Spider-Man. That kind of limits them. They can still make an interesting movie with that. Just say it has the same name, but they 
the fact it's a symbiote, but I was buying like the first 15 minutes of the movie. Hmm. I was all fine with, um, I liked kind of the origin they gave this thing of, you know, it's an evil scientist played by Riz Ahmed and it's basically his group that is making, they did space exploration. They get this symbiote, they bring it back. Stuff happens. It gets loose. Fine. I was fine with all that. Eddie Brock playing investigative journalist and he's, kind of against this guy and basically you could say he's kind of a riff on like Elon Musk in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so all that, all that's pretty much f- any rich science based right. uh, person in movies. Right. Now you is, could say Steve Jobs, but he's e- kind of Elon passe Musk. now. Yeah. Now it's Elon right. Musk. So fine. I was going with all that, but where it really started to break down and it happens pretty early. Um, and there again, this could be a suffer from dumbing it down from an R to a PG 13 that could have a little bit to do with it. I basically, the one thing that irked me and I could not get over is they don't make Venom a bad guy. Right. And that, you know, like we're going to have a Joker standalone movie, which granted that's DC. You have a Venom standalone movie. Fine. Make it self-contained. Can't mention Spider-Man. Fine. But don't have him be a good guy. Now I can see sometimes where in the movie they kind of hint like maybe Venom is still self-interested and he's doing things. So at the end of the day, he is kind of taking advantage of Eddie Brock. And they kind of mention that, but they just let it go too much. And basically, Venom becomes kind of the mask with Jim Carrey. Yes. <laughs> um, no, more violent. The mask yeah. never ate people. Sure. But, and I just, I was really disappointed with that. And it kind of, once I guess Venom became more full time with Eddie Brock, it, it mm-hmm. lost a lot of steam. And I, I was really disappointed. And I wanted to come back and say like champion this movie and say how much <laughs> you I have an it. argument about it. So. I, I did, but well, I, I, but it's, it's there was a couple, be. there's a couple thematic choices that they could have embraced and, and followed through with. I think would have made the film stronger. One, they could have gone the pure horror element. They had some moments earlier in the film where they tried to hint at some horror, especially with the, uh, I guess homeless people that were being experimented on. There yeah. were some real horrific elements in there. Right. I'm like, oh, if they're going to go like where this is like really scary, where like Venom is a scary character. See, I thought they were going to do that. That I would be okay with that. That would be kind of cool. Then the other choice that they could have embraced a little more too is going absolute bonkers. Mm-hmm. Um, because there was a scene about halfway through the film, Eddie's been infected with the symbiote. He doesn't quite know what's going on. Um, he has a freakout scene at a restaurant and just he's all over the place. It's basically Tom Hardy getting to just go nuts right. to do his Jim Carrey, to do his whatever. <laughs> to do his mask. Yeah. <laughs> and he even ends up sitting in a lobster tank with live lobsters and, you know, just all this is just, it got bonkers. And I'm like, oh, okay, now if they're going to go this that route direction. with it, I'm cool with that too. Let's have fun with this. Right. They didn't embrace either of those directions. They went, yeah. at the end, it was a very generic superhero-ish movie by the end, which I did not like. There was some interplay between Venom and Eddie Brock, the, the Tom Hardy's character, that was interesting and sometimes a little funny and sometimes a little twisted, and I was okay with some of this interplay. I guess the middle section of the film, I started to feel like maybe it's going somewhere interesting and maybe this could be kind of cool, but then it forgot all of that and ended up with a very generic CGI battle for the last 20 minutes that was just dull and it was boring, boring and pointless. Um, <laughs> but the only thing more pointless with that was the worst. You would, I'd really have to be proven wrong on this. The worst like credits, post credit sequence thing 
I think I've ever seen. <laughs> You're talking about the, actual, the the real post, not the preview for the other animated Spider-Man movie that came at the very end, right? Oh, I take it you didn't even see that. No, I didn't even see yeah, that. Yeah, at the very end of the credits, like after last credit was So there was done, something for Spider-Man Universe or that whatever? That Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse thing. They oh, no, we like saw, a I saw a trailer for that, for that before. No, but Venom. they actually showed a scene from it oh. at the end. But it had no connection to the film. No. It was just marketing. You're talking about the one with... Uh, <laughs> Woody no, Harrelson. So I guess that's I guess the, I was say Woody Harrelson. I guess that's the true post credit. No, I'm yes, I'm okay, referring because to Woody, Woody Harrelson, Harrelson is actually credited as being in the film. So everybody should know he's in the film. It's right. not a surprise. Gosh, but, that was Oh no, it was uh, about as about as ham fisted as you could possibly make it. It was terrible. Yeah. Terrible. Well terrible. it just yeah. Serves no purpose. I knew what character they're alluding to. I knew what's going on. And the fact that they even had to say the name of the character as a line in the dialogue just to kind of tease it. Terrible. was really sloppy. So Okay. And here's the other thing. This isn't a Marvel movie because, you know, it's outside, but yet it's it is. Sony, which Sony has a partnership with Marvel that Marvel can have some input on their films. But this is still a Sony film just with the Marvel logo stamped at the front. As if I didn't already have a feel that things were headed in the wrong direction. They had to do a Stanley cameo, and that should have been like, yep. Which, granted, of Stanley cameos, you know, apparently it's contractual. They have to. It wasn't that bad, but I was like, you know, that nagged at me a little bit. And then, yeah, just the worst. You talk about a gut punch of horribleness. <laughs> that credit scene with Woody Harrelson was so terrible. I mean, like, there's what? just no. I, I wonder if didn't anyone who's the seen wig, the movie. Didn't you think the wig looked natural? I mean, I wonder if anybody who's seen the movie actually liked that that scene i would be i'd be really curious i guess maybe some diehard but no diehard venom fans wouldn't like it because the story wasn't accurate like i don't know no. just it was terrible, pretty bad terrible. No, I, I knew woody harrelson was in the film somewhere and i kind of had guessed the character really? he was going to play yeah okay i knew as soon as i heard his casting i'm like oh yeah i totally get where they're going to put him because that could kind of make sense huh but the way they introduced him at the end and the, the dialogue he had was uh <laughs> bad no i'm with you on that i um i will tell you there was a couple moments that i thought like i said i thought the film might have had something going for it and some points where i i laughed out loud that were not meant to be funny but i thought were hilarious (laughs) okay um venom actually telling eddie brock that yeah back on my home planet i was somewhat of a loser so that's why we get along so well so basically he's like he's bullied in his home planet he feels like he's an outcast I'm just like, what? Where are we going with this? I don't understand. <laughs> so all these symbiotes come to Earth and Venom, which he gave himself the name Venom. So these symbiotes name themselves Venom and nice. Riot and Riot. what other names. Yeah. But also Venom feels like he was picked on back in his home planet. I'm like, I don't understand what this film's trying to do right now. Um, it doesn't either. It was funny, it was. <laughs> but not intentional. I'm sure not intentionally funny. Right. Um, I thought the CGI was pretty bad. Yeah. Any of the moments where we're supposed to have a dialogue between the host character and the symbiote, the symbiote kind of stretches out from the body and you see the head kind of like floating by these tendrils in front of the, the CGI is just coming out of the person's back. Like we don't even see how they're connected to the person. It's like, it's almost like an animator is just like, well, just put it behind them. That's where it's coming out from. We don't have to like animate that part. Just have it like come out from behind the person. It was just sloppy it was just lazy i understand the idea of doing a symbiote that covers a person and grows from a person's probably a little tricky dynamically to figure out how to make look really good sure but they took about the cheapest easiest route i can imagine to like illustrate (laughs) and and, and animate it 
I thought the villain was boring and generic. I mean, just had nothing going to him. He's a good actor. I've actually seen him in a right. lot of things I really like him in. Yeah. But it was Agreed. just paint by numbers. Yes, I'm rich and <laughs> I'm powerful and I get a little egotistical and I'm going to get people out of my way that try to stand in my way. And I don't, you know, he has a master plan. I don't really understand it. Don't understand yeah. how symbiotes are going to save the world or whatever he's saying. But right. Um, the board, the ending was just a big CGI fest. A, a hard to follow, not interesting, not fun at all. And then Michelle Williams. So good, but very underused. Yeah. In this, I think she's good. You think she's good? Yeah. I mean, you couldn't tell from this, but in my week with oh. Maryland and oh, then no, 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 no. I, cut oh, off. I, absolutely. I think she's a great actress. I thought you were saying she was good in this. I'm like, no, I but see. I don't blame her. I, no. I think it, actually, I think it all comes down to, I don't really even blame the director unless he wrote the script, which I don't think he did. I think it's the script. I think it well, is the script, definitely a the culprit script, of the script because I don't think it's, I don't, I think Tom Hardy did fine. I think Riz Ahmed did fine. I think Tom Hardy was probably the only saving grace of this film where it's like, they, he at least was committed. Sure. It seemed to be like having an idea of what he wanted to go for with this. Michelle Williams, I think she's a great actress. I just felt like almost every shot, I think her hand was just out of the frame and her hand was like clutching her paycheck. I think that was like the shot nice. that they were cropping out of every shot. Nice. It was like, I got my paycheck and as soon as the camera stopped rolling, I'm out. And, uh, <laughs> That's just how I felt. Like I felt like it was just he's going through the motions. I am playing the sometimes damsel in distress, sometimes the ex girlfriend of the superhero, and that's that's the role I play. And I say my lines and I get out the door. Um, (laughs) No, I don't blame her. I just said it was just a very. It did not need a Michelle Williams to play the part that was written on screen. Um, Yeah, I got a few more nitpicky things, but they're all pretty pretty minor stuff. In general, (laughs) the film just didn't work. Yeah. but I, I, will say, I wish I could say I disagree with you, but yeah. I, I don't. I will say there were some moments in the middle when Eddie and the, the symbiote were starting to have some banter that had some promising moments. And I felt like maybe it was going to go for a certain style and it just didn't. And uh, that's probably what was disappointing is I think they could have done something interesting here with this if they really wanted to. If you believe the Internet, which kind of hard to know whether you should or not. I saw a thread right before the movie was released that Tom Hardy had done some interview where he had said they'd cut 45 minutes out of the movie. And those were some of his favorite things that they cut out. I wonder if that's what got it from R to PG 13. And I wonder why, like, I wish I could see the Tom Hardy cut of venom because I, I don't understand. You have Logan, you have Deadpool, which have had success as R rated films. So I just wonder what they just didn't feel comfortable with it. And I I wonder why they wouldn't just leave it R, you know, because I I don't know. I'll be curious. And we'll probably never know because we'll never see the Tom Hardy cut. I'd like to believe that the moments that the minutes that Tom Hardy said were the best and got cut out. I'd like to think we're just him just continuing to go kind of bonkers, bonkers, nuts, just really go crazy with the film. Cause if they just let that roll, I think that would have been, Something, I don't necessarily say it's going to be good, but I think it would have been better than what we got. Sure, it just felt way too safe at the end of the day, and way too predictable, and way too by the numbers. And yeah, we're going to play it up like this is a big villain movie, but really, it's a superhero movie. And yeah, he's still going to be a hero at the end, and all that. Yeah, that, that yeah. Th- again, I can nail down all my misgivings. Is the 
tagline for the film is the world has enough superheroes. And you're like, okay, that's because this is going to be but a now villain. Now we got one more. <laughs> right. But this is going to be a villain because it is Venom. Everybody knows that's a bad guy. So that kind of made me excited for it. But what did they do? They just made him a hero. So that well, totally didn't work. What you me. just described as your disappointment is actually what's happened with the Venom character in the comics as well. When he was introduced as a villain, I remember it because I was like a teenager and I remember getting the issue. It was awesome. He okay. was a really creepy character. Total just bad guy, hated Spider-Man. That was the whole thing. He just wanted to kill Spider-Man. Hmm. And they, I think Marvel realized, oh, hey, people really like this character. Well, how do we sell more books with this character? Oh, let's get to make him a anti-hero where he's going to go after bad guys, but he'll like, do really bad things to bad guys, but he won't hurt good guys. And Really? Oh, yeah. yeah they totally gave him his own series. They made him kind of this anti-hero type of thing. And that's what I think watered down the character where I just had no interest in it So maybe, in they, maybe that's what Sony was doing, was trying to go down that path. Huh. Venom is a star of, his, of a comic series now, and he's a somewhat of a hero. I mean, hmm. he's a questionable hero in that you know his solution to stopping a bad guy may still be eating the bad guy, but <laughs> it's all bad guys. you know. Right. So I think the comics probably did more damage to what we saw in the film than anything. Interesting. You know, trying to follow that line. But yeah, if they had kept it a straight villain or a straight horror, or just a straight, absurd, off-the-wall film, mm-hmm. I think it would have been successful in any one of those tracks compared to what we got now. So, hmm. okay. okay, so we're two for three on recommendations. It doesn't sound like either of us is recommending Venom to anyone. I so. would not. No. All right. And I may be actually a little more negative on it than you are, just from my 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 level of emotional outcry on this thing. You're so. aware of how much they screwed up the source material. Yeah, I pretty much am. So. Gotcha. so that is our third and final review. So in kind of quick report card summary, <laughs> A Star is Born, we both gave positive reviews to. I gave a pretty close to glowing review of the film. Puzzle, we both gave a generally acceptable, yeah, it's a pretty good film. We had some misgivings with it, some things we thought maybe could have been stronger, but overall it's a good good film and worth worth seeing if you're so inclined. Venom, uh, we're both pretty down on, and I may be a little more passionately down on it than Chris, but uh, <laughs> either way, not something we're recommending anybody really needs to check out. Right. So, so Chris, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to hit a couple of movie news items, and then we'll move on to our recommendations for the episode. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with Foot Candle Films. We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. TheMesh.TV is a podcast network, which means it's a network of shows and programs, much like a TV station, much like a radio station. The big difference is that any of the shows or episodes on the network, you can listen to anytime you want to, and you can download them to your device of choice. As well as you can subscribe to these shows. That means that every time we put out a new episode, you're going to get that new episode delivered to you automatically. No going searching on the website. No waiting to see if a new episode's posted. You just hit the subscribe button. And whether you use Apple iTunes or you use Google Play or Stitcher Radio or some of these other services, if you subscribe to it, when the new episode's available, you will see it. You can play it. Whether you're at the gym working out, whether you're driving, whether you're walking, whatever it may be. 
you can listen at your own convenience whenever you want. Plus, you can go back in time and listen to old episodes. They're all free. No reason not to go back all the way out to Foot Candle Films number one. What was the film, Chris? Win-win. Win-win. The film Win-win we reviewed in our very first episode. Paul Giamatti. Yes. Uh, we need to go back and listen to that. i got a feeling we probably oh. don't li- sound much different. So, <laughs> I uh, hope maybe we sound a little better. Maybe, maybe a speck better. So, um, so yeah, so you can actually do that and go listen all the way back to the beginning or just catch up on films in recent weeks that maybe you've had a chance to see and you want to hear us talk about it a little bit. So uh, that's the mesh.tv is the network where you'll find not only this show for Candle Films, but you'll also find a lot of other shows that our network puts together. Again, all of them free and available for download and back episode downloads right away. Chris, let's move into a couple of movie news items uh, before we do our recommendations. Uh, you had an item that I actually found out was something I was also wanting to talk about. So now we should have a good conversation about it. Why don't you tell us uh, the first news item we're going to discuss? So we all were aware of the fact that Stephen King is cool again now. He had an It movie come out that was successful. They're going to make a sequel out of that. Netflix has had Gerald's Game and I think it was 1922 that went straight to Netflix. Mm -hmm. But they came about because of kind of the resurgence of Mr. King. Well, I think it even kind of started, honestly, going even a little further back. We had the 1968 miniseries on Hulu. Or no, no, I'm, I'm sorry, not, not oh, Castle Rock. The, well, there's that. Castle okay. Rock is on Hulu now, but also the one with James Franco about the uh, Kennedy assassination going uh, back in time. Oh, I didn't see. I thought they were going to make a movie out of that, but they nope, made a miniseries. It was like a short, like eight, eight episode miniseries on Hulu. Okay. I think the online streaming anthology type series base has actually played better for Stephen King than maybe movies had in the past. So interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's got a remake of one of his films coming out. I never saw the original because back when this came out, I would have been too young and I have seen scenes from it. You haven't seen the whole, uh, I have not seen, I'll just go ahead and mention the title. I have not seen the original pet cemetery. Wow. Um, I know about it, but I have never actually seen. And I think I've seen little bits and pieces. I've actually read the book. Um, cause I read a lot of Stephen King. Um, so I've read the book, but I've never actually seen the movie. I hear it's pretty dang creepy. Um, but I don't know if it would hold up now. I mean, maybe yeah, creepy at 1983 it, standards I've seen it or whatever. Recently, okay, I have not. Um, so. I've never seen it. So it has some moments of creep to it. I think as a whole, it still doesn't really work. Okay, as a total film, but there are two or three scenes that are pretty uh, kind of disturbing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, they the trailer has been released for the new one that's about to come out. It mm-hmm. comes out in April. John Lithgow actually plays in it, and uh, from the trailer, I think he's interestingly cast and also maybe well cast what struck me about the trailer which does a pretty good job with some creepy stuff which i wonder if this will end up being a letdown though um has a very your next vibe to it because it has a lot of people wearing animal masks and so the kind of a, a purge slash your next vibe to it still thought the trailer was interesting but i worry if it's trying to kind of take a little bit too much from that well, you know, that I never look, read the book. That aesthetic. Okay. Because I don't read books. Read to- <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I've seen the movie. I've seen this new trailer. And I kind of question, too, the, the, a lot of the shots of children in those masks. masks. Because that was not in the original film. No, and it's not in the book either. I, that was going to be my book. question. It's not in the book either. Okay. Now, there is a that- pet cemetery and things of, like, people yeah. having buried stuff there. But it doesn't. 
do that whole thing of yeah, children marching with me, which I thought was an interesting the way it's edited and the, yeah, it's the a music great visual in the trailer. Right. I just I, I was curious if that was something in the book that didn't make it into the first movie. Sounds like it's not. Not to my so. recollection. Granted, it's been a while since I read the book, yeah. but no. So. Um, I'm I'm curious about the film mainly because I mean they got you know is it Jason uh, Jason Clark yes in the film which you know he's a a pretty pretty big actor right now mm-hmm. so it wasn't like they're dragging and getting just like no name people to star in this movie right and then John Lithgow of John course Lithgow. playing the role that um uh, he's like a creepy dude Herman Munster played in the original movie whoever that was <laughs> Fred Gwynn yeah yeah I think you're right so he See, played, I do uh, know that yeah I, I haven't seen the movie but I've seen clips right. and yeah Fred Gwynn played so we've got some good star power to it I mean that normally bodes a little better for a horror film you know that uh, some names decide they're going to attach themselves to a project right um I would love for this film to be creepier than the first film. Okay. Because I, I don't think the first film was that terribly uh, Now, did you see it? Scary. You've seen it recently. Did you see it around the time it came out as well? Yeah. So, I oh, saw it in the movie theater. Wow. Okay, so you still yeah, you didn't really do I, it I might have you snuck then. in. I don't remember. <laughs> I think me and some friends. But it didn't really hold up for you then either. It didn't really work as a horror Well, movie. here's the deal. When that, mo- when that uh, book was my, – my parents had the book in our house. Okay. And my mother, I remember, had read the book, and she talked about how disturbing the book was. And she was telling me portions of the book in a very way that a kid could or a teenager could process it from my side. Gotcha. And it got me really excited to want to see the movie because I'm like, oh, this sounds like just such a twisted concept. And, and I'm not going to spoil for anybody who hasn't read the book or seen the movie, but... It came out, certain, ni- it came out in 1989. I know, but a certain Gee. character who comes back later in the film... I was so anxious to see how they pulled that off because it's just such an upsetting concept. Yeah. And the movie I thought was pretty limp with it. Um, Really? Yeah. So I came away from the movie a little disappointed. There were a couple scenes that were disturbing, uh, namely the sister um, in a flashback. With some scissors? Yeah, but there's just a scene. It's actually considered one of the scarier scenes in movie, recent movie history in general. Uh, the the mother has a flashback to a sister that she had tried to care for that oh, had developed okay. disease, yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. and that character kind of like is approaching the camera and is very physically uh, distraught and just it's a really disturbing scene. Okay, that's still what a lot of people call to that that was probably the scariest moment of this film. Um, I, I'm anxious to see what they do, but I'd be really happy if they kept it probably a little closer to the to the book because I understand the film may have been a little more watered down than the book was, um, maybe not as creepy or scary as it could have been. So I'm I'm all for it. Hmm. Okay. Um, I was one who didn't find it to be terribly scary. The new no, version. So I. I was actually I, you know, really. Like, I didn't really like it, but I think I, I'm in the definite minority. I um, thought it was a little scarier than the 1990 miniseries version <laughs> with. Uh, Tim Curry. Uh, Tim Curry. I didn't find that one scary at all, but it could have been a lot scarier. The newer one could have been a lot more frightening. I think when it got into some CGI stuff and later in the film and just some set pieces didn't really work from a, from a scary standpoint. Yeah. But I'm all for it. If they want to give these Stephen King films another shot and try to make a, a little higher quality version of the films, I'm all for it. Um, can I request whoever's out there? So I saw children of the corn again recently. I've seen that. It's been a yeah, long time. Yeah, that one does not hold up at all. So if anybody's interested in a remake of a Stephen King movie, that one's got potential, but please just make it better than the 1980 well, version. I actually blame Children of the Corn. Never read the story or whatever that it was based on, 
but did see the movie, and that's why I did not name my son Malachi um, because of that movie. So that did have that kind of effect on. That's me. true, and that, at least it had some 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 good that came out of it. Right. Um, yeah, that film, phew, not good. The last thirty minutes is pretty I'm, down dreadful. I remember so, it being yeah. pretty bad. So anyway, if they're going to keep making and elevating the quality of these Stephen King mm-hmm. movies, I'm all for it. Just. Really make them creepy, guys. Really make really soak up what Mr. King was trying to do in the books. So, all right, let me. Uh, I'll go on to our second and only other news item before we go to our recommendations. Okay, I am becoming more and more fascinated by Pokemon Go. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Although now you mention it, though, that may be what I have to do this weekend just to clear the mind a little bit. <laughs> um, no, it's the Joker movie with Joaquin Phoenix. Now, see, I would have been. More interested, but now I'm just, I was really disappointed with Suicide Squad. Oh, yeah. Venom has let me down. So I just, I just don't know if I'm ever going to like a comic book movie again. Well, I think I'm just burned out. I think he's a good actor. Seeing him in, um, I was never really here, which mm-hmm. I saw from earlier, where he plays this really disturbing, violent person. You know, I totally think he's capable to do his own take of the Joker. Stand aside from Jack Nicholson, stand aside from, um, Heath Ledger's take, but I just, I don't, I don't want to get my hopes up. I mean, the Joker is my favorite bad guy in comic books. I mean, he's it, you know, yeah. um, Batman's my favorite good guy. So I, I don't know, but so why are you intrigued? Cause I would think, I, I guess it's just, I, just the, the people involved and what's kind of come together to make this. I mean, the situation is under in general, this would be the, so how, how would this work? So it would be like the, the fourth movie version of the Joker we would have seen, right? We've got the well, actually fifth if you count the original 1966 Batman movie. You've got that one. Caesar Romano as Joker. Then you've got Jack Nicholson. Then you had Heath Ledger. Then you had um, oh yeah, what's the Suicide Squad version. Yeah. Jared Leto. And now you got this fifth version. Wow. And supposedly they're still working with the Jared Leto version and a different track of stories. And this is going to be what? I don't. It's more the what's going on is more curious <laughs> to me than anything. Well, if anybody doesn't know that, it's DC. So DC Joaquin really Phoenix as a Joker, I'm still not quite buying yet. Oh, I think he's a great actor, but I, I, he's not at all the person I would have envisioned to say, "Yep, he could play the Joker." I'm curious, hmm. um, I'm, but I also felt the same way about Heath Ledger. So you know, who knows? Oh, yeah. Um, Todd Phillips, the director. I mean, the Hangover guy. I mean, yeah. I just I don't know if anything That's really maybe a little strong concerning. he's done. So. Yeah. But then I heard uh, Robert De Niro's involved in the film has a, has a supporting role. It's just, and then there's a lot of stories coming out now about the production, and I don't know how much of it is just marketing sure. to try to play up that ooh, it's a really twisted production set, and we're having some really weird things going on in the antics on the set. But then there's like a big article about how they're filming on a subway, and they had a whole group of extras on the subway, and uh, they had their request for union mandated breaks ignored by the production crew. So people were then when they need to go to the bathroom, were encouraged to just go on the walls of the subway on the inside. What? Again, I got to believe this is probably more like, Oh, let's really get in the news. How twisted our production is. Cause we're trying to play up. This is a Joker movie. We want people to come see it. It's going right. to be upsetting. Right. And uh, I don't know how much of it's true or not, but they may be reaching for some publicity right now in this film to try to drum up some support. Interesting. And because DC's not really had a great run of movies lately and uh, the Aquaman trailer (laughs) 
does not look like something that's going to float my boat. <laughs> oh, good one. Yeah. See yeah, what I you know. did there. I worked on that one for a while. Yeah. Hmm. So anyway, the Joker production, I'm just going to go on record saying I'm intrigued. Oh, I am too. Uh, it could be an absolute disaster, which will be intriguing in itself. Can it or, be worse than Venom? Um, It could be. I mean, I do think there's ways to make something worse than Venom. Um, hmm. I think Venom had enough like little threads that started to be interesting to keep it from being a horrible movie, like like rock bottom movie. Gotcha. But it was definitely not a good movie, and nowhere near it. So, <laughs> okay. um, I'm just really curious. Okay, it's just on my intrigue list right now. Sure. Films that I'm like really curious, not that I'm anticipating. Just I want to see if they really pull this off or not, and if it at least works in any way, shape, or form. Fair enough. Okay, so that's all the news we're going to do for today. Let's just move right into our recommendations. So for anybody joining us for the first time, we do this at the end of every episode. The idea is that there's a lot of movies out there. A lot of movies now with technology we can view pretty much at, the, at our fingertips. So Chris and I do fair, watch our fair share of movies or at least recall a lot of films we've seen in the past and try to make it our challenge every episode. We're going to recommend a film that we think needs some more attention, needs a revisit, maybe slipped on, uh, under the radar in recent years. So, Chris, let me let me ask you first. What film do you have to recommend for us today? Well, you mentioned uh, Stars Born as being one of the films you think will be in your top five. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just recently watched film that just came out this year uh sorry to bother you okay i would be surprised if it's not in my type top really five. yeah so that worked for you huh? i really like this film it's the first film by um he's a musician in a mm-hmm. group but he's now a director and writer boots riley and it stars the keith stanfield and tessa thompson and the plot as via imdb in an alternate present day version of oakland telemarketer cassia screen played by the keith stanfield discovers a magical key to professional success, propelling him into a universe of greed. Um, I just, this film is very uh, funny. Mm-hmm. It's very odd. It feels like kind of a Michael Gondry smashed together with, let's see, who would it be smashed together with? I don't, I don't know, like somebody who does maybe like a Judd Apatow movie in a way, okay. but yet, I, I don't know. It's just, it's unlike anything I've ever really seen before. It is funny. I like the performances. I like the editing, the music. I mean, no surprise, the guys from a band who wrote it and directed it. Music in it's really great. Um, it's just, I really, really enjoyed it. It does get kind of crazy. <laughs> and so some people will be like, this is just weird. It's stupid. I don't get it. But it, it really it really worked for me. So sorry to near, bother you. Yeah. It's near the top of my watch list right now, as far as films to catch up on. I, I, I didn't get a chance to see it in it's limited release schedule. You can the, currently buy it on iTunes or Amazon. I think it's scheduled to be released. Uh, you can stream it or rent it. I think later in October, maybe the 23rd or around okay, there. So if you don't want to plunk down the money to buy it, you can stream it soon. Awesome. So, sorry That's to great. bother you. Sorry to bother you. Definitely. want to catch up with that one. Glad to hear you, you, you took it so well. My recommendation is uh, it's a little insider for us, but it is one I just wanted to call out. Uh, And I don't think, unfortunately, that it's quite available for online viewing yet. I'm sure you can buy a DVD version of it somewhere, but um, and I just keep an eye out for whenever it does come available online. It is a film that we did show at our Foot Candle Film Festival. We didn't talk about it. It was not one of our award winners, but it was a film that I just want to recommend 
not necessarily advocating it as like the best film of our festival or anything. I just think it's more of an important film that I hope more people get a chance to see because I think it is so well done and how it addresses a particular topic. The film is uh, English version of the film is the best of all worlds. Uh, the German is die best out of Welton. Um, the best of all worlds It's directed by Adrian Goiginger and he also wrote it. Um, and it stars uh, several German actors and actresses that I'm, I'm not as familiar with. Uh, I haven't seen another work before, but I think that actually helps lend to the authenticity of the film that it plays up to. Basically we're following a, uh, seven-year-old Adrian as he's growing up in an underground drug scene of the Austrian city Salzburg. Um, his mother is a, is an addict. She's torn between kind of an addict lifestyle with other, other, other people she hangs with and this need to be a good mother and nurture her son. The film is scary. The film is depressing. The film is harrowing in many times. It is probably one of the more realistic depictions of what I would imagine a true drug addict's life is like, you know, we see some Hollywood versions sometimes where it's just over the, you know, really, really extreme. And we see other times where there's just a lot of back and forth between being an addict or not being an addict. This one, I think really nails it. And that we see that it, it's, it's a struggle. It is a challenge to break out of that lifestyle as much as you may want to break out of it or try to break out. There are other forces around you that won't always let you, escape that reality. But more than anything, we always talk about whenever there's kids in films and that we think oh. is really impressive when a kid is really good. Sure. And yeah, the kid in this good. film is really good. I mean, you just, you feel for him. He it's, you feel scared when he's scared. You feel uh, elation when he's, he's happy. And I think it's also great too, that there's many moments in the film where he loves aspects of his life, even though he's in a very, very dangerous and tough situation. Right. His, Fantasies. He has a kind of a, a real active imagination. The fantasy scenes are really well done for a relatively low budget film. Sure, sure. They look really good and they're really well put in the film. So. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of um, if you were to take Beasts of the Southern Wild and put it together with Train Spotting, it wouldn't have any. But yep, take the right. take the music and mm -hmm. the comedy aspects out of the Train Spotting and just have like the severe drug use and heroin right. use and combine that with Beasts of the Southern Wild. It kind of you know, it kind of reminded me of that. But yeah, I also really liked the film. Yeah. I, it struck me because I've seen it a couple of times now and it really got me the second time watching it with a crowd and watching it on a bigger screen. And um, I think it's just, you know, when people are, are struggling, especially we live in a community, an area where opioid addiction is pretty high and rampant in places. Okay. You know, watching this, it, it doesn't excuse drug addiction. It doesn't make it right. But you kind of get a little bit of understanding that, okay, yeah, this, there's, trapped or at least she was the mother in the situation. Sure. You know, she has a desire to get out. You know, she has a desire to break that mold, but she just can't do it. And you don't ever feel like you don't ever feel like she's just given up. You feel like she's honestly struggling the entire film. And I'm, I found it to be a really fascinating watch. It's a tough watch. It's a very, very tough watch. Agreed. Um, but it's good, but probably most important about this film. It is based on a true story. So the actual director and writer is Adrian who is basically telling the story about himself as a seven-year-old child that did grow up in a addict family and did have a mother that went through addiction issues uh, and had to be separated from him for a period of time later on. So just knowing that, I think, added a whole nother level to the film of really appreciating what he was able to show and do and how tough that must be 
to direct a film and write a film about yourself as a child going through some really, really horrific situations. So it is a tough film to watch. I'll go ahead and give that warning. But if you have a chance to see it, I think there's a lot to appreciate there. And I think it's also very rewarding by the time it closes up in the film as well. So that's The Best of All Worlds, or if you look under the German title, Die Best aller Welten. Um, it was released, I think, in uh, Austria back in last September 2017. So maybe a little difficult to find, but it is out there somewhere, I'm sure. We're and, seeking uh, out. Yeah, sure. we're seeking out for sure. All right. Well, that is our recommendations. Uh, sorry to bother you and the best of all worlds. That's our recommendations. Both of them you should be able to find online somewhere uh, to view if you're so inclined. We did our reviews of A Star is Born, Puzzle, and Venom. We talked about both the Pet Cemetery remake, and we talked about the ongoing drama with the Joker film by uh, with Mr. Joaquin Phoenix. So, Chris, we are going to go ahead and wrap up the show. Somebody's listened to all over the show. They have some really interesting thoughts to share on Venom, let's say. Maybe <laughs> they make us feel like the film was a little better than we gave it credit for. How should they reach out to us with any kind of feedback or dialogue they may have about the episode? Send your diatribes about Venom to info at the mesh.tv. Mention for candle films in the subject line and we'll uh, take a look at it and uh, maybe who knows we'll read a little bit of it on air i would love to hear some defense of venom um yeah i'm sure that, i'm sure there are people who would love to defend it out there so that is definitely one way you can do it that'd be great and we'd love to hear from you again keep in mind you can subscribe to the show uh, by visiting either the mesh.tv that's t-h-e-m-e-s-h.tv and find foot candle films on the list of shows and hit the nice subscribe button or just go open up your Apple iTunes and go to the podcast store in the iTunes uh, application and search for foot candle. I think we're the only thing that pops up with the word foot candle, if I remember correctly. (laughs) So look for the podcast and subscribe there as well. But we'd love to hear your feedback, thoughts, ratings, anything else you have to share with us. We would love to get that feedback. So until next time, when we come back with at least one or two more films to review and some additional news and recommendations, Until then, uh, thanks for listening. This has been Foot Candle Films. Take care. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.